0: My name is Dan Boss, and I am one of the pastors and leaders here at King's Cross, and I'm um, excited to be with you this morning and open God's Word on a hot topic this morning. So um, so many of you have heard the, the big announcement for our church, um, just kind of coming together, joining forces with Soulway Church, and uh, God has really been gracious in providing for us um, as a church, as we've grown. We've been... Scratching our heads, trying to figure out where we can uh, find more space, and um, God has provided in an amazing way. So uh, we're we're just praising God for the provision and for just what looks to be like a really cool um, union between two uh, very very similar churches. So um, we're excited. If you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, go to our website and there's a whole web page um, to give you the update on that. Um, and uh, this, this week, we have an exciting way to, to kind of do that together, to come together as a church uh, and worship together with Soulway uh, members. This Wednesday, as Gabe announced during announcements, is, is our first kind of first big trial of a fasting day and then a combination uh, coming together in worship um, in the evening. So 7 p.m. on Wednesday night, uh, we're going to worship God over at Solway Church Um, and come together in prayer and worship. So I'm going to invite you there. It's going to be awesome and a good way for our churches to kind of to be together. Um, Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at sexual purity. I said it was a hot topic. So here we go. Got real quiet. Everybody's a little on edge. Sexual temptation and purity. And I don't know, Luke, if you can do anything about my mic ringing. It's kind of driving me crazy right now. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a uh, a big topic, and um, Tim Keller kind of gives us some guardrails. As oftentimes we think about it in one way or another, and both ways are kind of incorrect. He says, either we view sex and sexual um, nature, sexual things in this world, as bad and something that we we shouldn't talk about, or we should just avoid it altogether. Or we view it on the other side of uh, it being kind of a bodily desire and a, a natural appetite that we just need to, to feed. Um, it's something that we we just all have and we need to, to feed that. Tim Keller says that both of these options are wrong and they miss the, the Christian view of sex. Christian view of sex is actually much higher than what we think and much less of it is... Um, meaning, uh, has meaning for our complete satisfaction. I said that really poorly. Let me, let me try to rephrase. The Christian view of sex is that it's much higher in its purpose, and we are much less in need of it for our complete satisfaction. I would say that our culture as a whole has been pretty well dominated in the second uh, category that Tim said, that it's a desire, it's an appetite, we all need this, and, and our culture would say we actually need it to be fulfilled as people, um, we really need uh, sexual intimacy in order to live a complete and fulfilled life. And we've seen this shift in, a more, uh, in the more recent decades in our culture that believe that sex and sexual desire is actually like a defining characteristic of who we are as humans. We have this thing called sexual identity now. We hear about it almost on a daily basis. And it's proclaimed as a core part of who we are as people. Um, But one scholar uh, that I've been reading, Carl Truman, has this quote. I would highly recommend uh, a book that he's written. Talk to me afterwards. It says Our culture believes that the myth that sex, in terms of sexual desire and sexual fulfillment, is the real key to human existence, um, to what it means to be human. Nobody looking at Western society today could fail to see how sex dominates the culture in a way unknown to our ancestors in the Middle Ages. Or the early modern age. From art to politics, sex is omnipresent. And thinking of human beings as fundamentally defined by their sexual desire is now virtually intuitive for all of us. Our culture that we're living in is hypersexualized. Music, art, TV, movies, even advertising is swept up in believing that sex is everything and sex sells. Sex is the defining characteristic of who we are as people. So in the midst of all this swirling around us, we need to look at God's commands for us to live as creatures made in His image, and we need to study His Word to show us what is His design for sex. And that will show us who we are as people. And all the while, we need also to have a keen eye on this cultural water that we're swimming in. So this morning... Um, we want to open up God's word in Proverbs um, chapter six and seven, and we're going to be in verse 20, so Proverbs 6:20 through 7:27. And as we do each week, I want to invite you to stand as we honor God's word um, by the reading of it. Proverbs six starting at verse 20. "My son, keep your father's commandment." And forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. And when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of an adulteress, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense, and who does it, he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away, for jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will... He will accept no compensation. He will refuse you multiple. Multi, he will refuse though you multiply gifts. Chapter seven, verse one. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman and from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I, have o- I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now, now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray from into do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that this morning as we As we think about this um, topic of sex and sexuality, I pray that you would teach us that you desire for us to live holy lives. Um, I pray that you'd use my words this morning um, or move me out of the way and just speak to your people, I pray. And I pray that um, you'd give us ears to hear your voice. Um, as we As we study your word this morning, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and take a seat. Well, that is quite a scripture passage there. Um, I want to look at this passage in kind of three different sections uh, this morning. The first section is a warning for us to follow the commands of God. Second, the consequences of sexual sin, and third, a picture of what, tempta- what temptation looks like. Um, so the first, just kind of this warning that we we hear this warning throughout Proverbs. Um, oh son, listen to my teaching. Listen, take heart, um, take my words to heart. This is kind of woven into the beginning, the middle, and the end of this passage, and it's a strong warning and encouragement to all of us. Listen to the commands that um, you were given. We, we hear this advice kind of given throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, we see it right... Um, a couple weeks ago, we, uh, I preached on the beginning of Proverbs on wisdom. And we see it right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Wisdom is found by not forsaking your father and mother's advice. In the first part of this passage, verse, uh, six, uh, chapter 6, verse 21 through 22... Uh, would, would have been a close reminder for the Israelites hearing this of um, the Shema Israel prayer. The, the, the Jewish prayer called the Shema is a central kind of core um, prayer that the Jews um, would pray several times a day, and it's kind of the centerpiece of their prayer time in the morning and the evening. Um, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 4 through 9. I want to just read this for us. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. A lot of similarity between what we're hearing in Proverbs and this um, this Shema prayer. Interestingly, the Jews um, took this literally. They said, bind them on your forehead. And you'll see even today in in Israel, Orthodox Jews have these little boxes on their foreheads called phylacteries or teflon. And these little boxes contain little scrolls of... Uh, the Torah written on them. They want to do what God's saying to do. I mean, they took it literally, putting it on their forehead, and it might seem too extreme, but the desire behind that is good. So these warnings at the beginning of Proverbs are calling us to obedience, and they're strong. They're strong warnings. They're all-encompassing because of the nature of sexual temptation. We are to not forsake them. We are to bind them on our heart and wear them around our neck. In verse 22, it says that we will receive the benefits if we follow these commands, the threefold benefits that we will receive. If we walk, when we walk, they will guide us. When we sleep, they will watch over us. And when we wake, they will speak to us. So there's an active element. There's an active engagement in these commands, that we bind them and we wear them. And then there's a passive receiving of the benefits, guidance being washed over, and God speaking to us. And then we see in verse 23 and 24 the purpose of it all, the focus kind of of this whole passage. For the commandment, um, it says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline... Are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And the last verse in the NIV, NIV kind of puts it this way it says, Keeping you from your neighbor's wife and from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. So, a quick side note as I'm sure you're aware, uh, this whole passage is framed towards a man, uh, speaking about being tempted by a woman. Um, but obviously, this passage is not written only for men. And I trust that you're, you're able to make that switch. This, this could easily be read from the perspective of a woman being warned against, warned against sexual temptation also. The whole point of this opening section in verse 20 through 24 is to strongly encourage us that it is worth the fight to follow the commands and keep us from falling into sin. It's vitally important And it's really a matter of life and death for us, as we will kind of jump into later on. If we're tempted to think this is like an overreaction or just some Old Testament command, we just need to remember how Jesus talked about sexual temptation. Jesus has the same strength and forcefulness in his teaching on this topic too. Matthew 5.29 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So with the same tenacious intent as we're hearing um, that that we're tearing out our eye, we need to take that drastic measure to avoid sexual sin. Um, I love how John Piper addresses this verse from Matthew. He says, The point is not that Christians always succeed in every battle, the issue is that we resolve to fight, not that we succeed flawlessly, but we don't make peace with sin. We make war. I love that. It's not, it's not always about winning these battles in the fight against sexual temptation, but we need to resolve to fight. The, this passage in Proverbs communicates what every parent eventually has to deal with. I want to shake my kids and, and tell them, like, Listen to me. I, I know what I'm talking about on this issue or something. And then eventually you need to let go. Like you need to let your kids figure out right and wrong and hopefully they, they are able to navigate that well. Um, but you need to you need to trust them and 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 understand that they are gonna be making their own decisions. So we are warned at the beginning of this passage to fight against sexual temptation. And the nature of that temptation is given some clarity here. And when we get to uh, six, uh, chapter 6, verse 25, it says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. I think this is so helpful because it shows that sexual purity is not just dealing with our actions or avoiding behavior. It's also about our inner thought life the desires of our hearts. And Jesus agrees with this. He says in Matthew 5, 27, and 28, that you have committed adultery in your heart even if you just look lustfully at a woman. A common thread among Jesus' teaching is that it goes deeper than just action. It's, It's to do with your heart. Sexual uh, purity and temptation is not just based on our actions, but also our thoughts. It's easy to think, oh, I I avoided doing that action, I avoided looking at that picture online or something, but overlook the fact that you fantasize about something or someone in your mind. We rationalize and we compartmentalize our sexual temptation. So you you avoid engaging with an explicitly pornographic website, but... What images are you lingering on as you scroll through social media or the news page? It's really the same posture that you have in your heart towards that temptation. All right, how are we doing? (laughs) We're going deep here, guys. Uh, The second point is the consequences of sexual temptation and sin. I feel like the next section is helpful in kind of like shaking us free from what what seems to be like a dull mind that we get when we face um, sexual temptation. Having a clear perspective in the midst of sexual temptation is hard to come by. We're blinded by our lust and desire. We can't see the destruction that we're walking into. In verse 26, we get this contrast of a prostitute being cheap and adultery with another wife, uh, costly. But this contrast is a device that we kind of hear over and over, like contrasting kind of opposites and similar things throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, But the point here is to show us that not that prostitution is not wrong, but the difference between the cost of prostitution and how much worse adultery is with another man's wife. Obviously, both have grave consequences and both destroy a person. But the argument here, I think, is that Adultery with another man's wife would likely um, have the consequences of affecting more people, their family and generations involved. The cheap love of a prostitute and adultery with another man's wife are both, both costly. And just so we're clear here about what the Bible teaches about prostitution, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall they then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. The same sentiment is found in the next few verses in Proverbs. You can't get in, given to sexual sin without suffering painful consequences. So verse 27 through 29 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not being burned? Or can one walk on, co- on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished." I think what the proverb here is saying is that there is a specific pain um, in sexual sin. Why is sexual sin any different than other sin? Well, it hurts yourself and others in such a deep way. It's the most intimate part of who we are, and God designed men and women to engage sexually only within the context of a marriage covenant. And any time it happens outside of that, um, it can run against God's plan and design for us. This is what Paul points out in 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his, uh, sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Infidelity destroys marriages, it destroys families for generations, and the hurt runs deep. Verse 31 It costs everything in this man's house to give in to this temptation. Verse 32, this man has no sense. He destroys himself. Verse 33, the shame is never wiped away. And I want to understand that this shame um, that we're talking about here is not shame towards God. If God forgives this man, um, he is is forgiven. But the pain and the hurt that affect other people may still linger. Um, And then verse 34 and 35. The man will face the wrath and anger of the husband who is wronged. I just want to make a point here, take a moment and reiterate the fact that, as deep as the pain and brokenness that we may have experienced um, sexually is, it's not beyond the redemption and restoration of Jesus. It's easy to hear the word sexual purity and think, oh man what have I done? What, what, what I've experienced in life and what I've done myself, I am outside of God's grace. I'm beyond help. I'm dirty. I'm unclean, impure. But I just want to remind us of God's grace here. The words of Psalm 103, David, an adulterer and a murderer. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And then 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So yes, the consequences of sexual sin run deep. They hurt us, they hurt others deeply, and they leave wounds. But Jesus, over and over, desire, desires to heal and forgive these wounds. We just need to bring them to him at the cross. All right, so my last kind of point is looking at this narrative section in, in chapter 7 here. I feel like this section is helpful because it almost like takes all these concepts And puts them into a story it's like taking a written story and putting uh, putting them in a movie movie is never quite as good but it's it's helpful Um, we get some real life examples of what sexual temptation looks like and we basically get a good lesson in what not to do Um, the beginning of chapter 7 we hear another encouragement for the son to keep the commands of the father to keep the wisdom and insight close and a warning to flee from sexual temptation and at verse 6, we, we shift into this narrative mode. The author shifts into the story of him watching a young man being led into temptation by a woman. I think it's helpful here just to walk through this story and understand, like, what, what can we glean from it in our own struggle in sexual temptation and sin? A few observations right off the bat about this, this young man. He's young, and he has no sense he is among the simple. So this is, this is a concept we've heard before in Proverbs. The simple doesn't mean he's not complex or something. It means he's kind of gullible, he's naive, he's lacking wisdom and discernment. This guy is unwise, and he's hanging around with other unwise people. And we see what he's doing. In verse 8, we read that he's walking a road near a woman's home, Verse 9, we see that it's happening at twilight as the the time of night and darkness is setting in. Already, there's something to be learned here. Temptation doesn't just fall out of the blue sky and plop down in our lap. There's always a way that we go seeking it out. We go looking for it. Jesus teaches us to pray in in the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation. But often, we are leading ourselves by the desires of our flesh into temptation. We, in some level, we go looking for it. Or at least we put ourselves in a path where we know we might find temptation. I love this passage in Romans 13, 12 through 14. It's almost like Paul's response to this young man that we just read about in Proverbs. It says, The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think that last line is what is happening here in Proverbs, verse 8 and 9. He's making provision for his flesh. He's walking down a path he know he shouldn't take, and at the time of day, he know he shouldn't be there. He's placing This is placing him in the way of temptation and making provision for his flesh. So I want to spend a little bit of time on this concept because I think it's, it's helpful for us to understand how does this sexual sin and temptation take place? We just set ourselves up for it in some way. I love... Um, I found uh, this author and scholar, Joe Rigney, to say a couple really wise things on this topic. So he says, making provision for the flesh implies that we can choose to put ourselves in the path of temptation. We can make room and create space for sinful desires to be awakened, pursued, and gratified. And he goes on, at a practical level, we can subtly plan to be in an environment of temptation knowing, or at least hoping, that temptations will come and will awaken our desires so that we can gratify them. And how subtly that happens for us, how quickly we can try to excuse and justify our behavior. And if you're anything like me, the clearest place I see this happening is with our phones and technology. With our phones, online, We can jump from innocent to lustful in just one click. We might choose apps that we know have a pathway of temptation for us, with sexually explicit images that may pop up from time to time, even advertisements that pop up. We might browse a site on the internet knowing that we will likely see something that tempts us to hold our gaze or entertain a thought, all the while rationalizing in a way, oh, I'm I'm just just checking the news, just checking social media. And it's this rationalization that very well may be the mindset that we see in this young man in in Proverbs on the road at twilight. He's just out for a stroll at night, you know? And out of the blue, this woman comes, and it's like, oh my gosh, what are the chances? And a little about this woman, she's also being led by the desires of her flesh. She's dressed like a prostitute she's wily at heart. It's not a uh, phrase that we hear very often, but it literally means guarded at her heart. Um, a pastor, uh, Ray Ortland, describes this woman. She is unguarded in her dress, revealing much, but she is guarded in her heart, revealing nothing. She's giving her body away, but she's not giving her heart away. This is a physical transaction. It's not an emotional one. So as we read on, um, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. She's on a mission to gratify the desires of the flesh. So they meet. She takes him and kisses him and proceeds to tell him how much she has sought him. And now she has found him. And which one of us doesn't want to hear that? The longing in our sinful hearts is met with open arms uh, of reciprocal desire verse 16 and 17, we read that she has prepared her bed with linens and perfume. There's plenty of food and her husband has gone on a long journey. I think this is pointing to the, the lie of anonymity in our sin. No one will find out. The threat of consequence is gone, but of course, God sees our sin and knows every deed. That's the lie we face with each of our phones and devices. Pornography, once carried an element of public shame. You had to go somewhere, you had to buy something, you had to go out in public. But now, from the privacy of our own homes, we can engage in the same behavior. Therefore, accessibility to porn has gone through the roof. And the lie is that no one will know. And for a time, maybe you can keep that lie up. You can keep it secret from your friends, from your loved ones around you, but eventually, the truth will come out. And more importantly, at its core, it's a lie because God knows every thought and every deed. And in the end, he will judge the minds and hearts of everyone. So I just want to say a couple things um, about pornography. If this is something that you are struggling with, uh, I just want to say that there are uh, several of us here at King's Cross Church who would love to walk with you through this. There's hope and healing in Christ in this area of life that feels so daunting and overwhelming. There are resources out there to help you in your battle. And um, there's an encouragement uh, of others who want to walk with you in this fight, walk alongside of you. Okay, the next section ends just like we started, a plea and a warning. Verse 24 and 25. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. So I want to end our time this morning with three kind of practical encouragements for us um, to find ways to fight against temptation of sexual sin. And I'm stealing these from an article I read um, by Joe Rigney um, on Desiring God. And I think they're spot on for what we need to do in, in facing sexual temptations that we encounter. Um, he bases them all on this passage from Romans 13. And the first, um, the first point is that we need to wake up. Romans 13, 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Joe Rigney says, Become aware of the way that our minds and flesh work together to lead us into sin. Making provision for the flesh numbs and deadens us. Spiritually, we fall asleep. We follow our passions in a fog of desires, appetites, excuses, rationalizations, swatting away the voice of our conscience and the Holy Spirit. So we must wake up. What are the ways that you've been dulled to the beauty of God and the horror of your own sin? It may not be a legit porn site that you're scrolling through, but if you're on social media or any online media format, what are the ways that you're still giving in to that same temptation of the heart? Rationalizing these things are just excuses to the dullness that we need um, to fight against. Waking up also means to get help. If you're struggling with something, confess your sins to one another and reach out Let others help you and bear this burden with you. And secondly, we need to change clothes. Uh, Romans 13, 12 continues, So so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And later Paul exhorts us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mr. Rigney explains this. It's not enough to simply avoid sin and temptation. We must actively seek to kill our sin. In other, way, in other words, we refuse to allow sinful curiosity to take up residence in our hearts without making intentional efforts to put it to death. We don't merely play defense. We also go on the offense. One of the most helpful concepts to me in understanding this is a sermon I read uh, by a Puritan, Thomas Chalmers, and the title encapsulates this idea. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The premise that he articulates here is that in order to go on the offense in killing our sin and our desire for sin, we need, um, sorry, in order to go on the offense to killing our sin, our resistance and self-control can only go so far we need a new vision of Christ um, and a seek, to seek a growing affection for him in order to crowd out and replace the fondness of sin. He says that there are two ways that we must fight the temptation of the world. John Piper summarizes these um, himself. He says, one is to show that the world is not worthy of our affection and will eventually let us down in the end. The other is to show that God is vastly more worthy of the heart's attachment. This awakens a new and stronger affection that displaces the former affection of the world. Chalmers gives the analogy of glass bottle. So you got this sealed glass bottle. In order to get rid of the air in that bottle, you can do it a couple ways. You can get a vacuum and suck that air out, or you can simply fill that with water. There's, only, there's not only displacement of sin, but a replacement of something filling you uh, with something better. There's not only a rescue, but there's a recovery. Um, then third encouragement here for us is to go for a walk. Um, Romans thirteen thirteen says, let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. We're awake and we're alert. We're properly clothed in Christ's righteousness. And now we walk in a manner that fits our union with him. And remember that we are united with Christ through faith. So he is walking with us. And we take the lead from Jesus when facing sexual temptation. And when, when faced with temptation, Jesus turned to the word of God. Let it speak truth over that situation. So we hear this word to us this morning. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. This has been a verse that I've held on to over the years when facing temptation. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. You should avoid sexual immorality. There's no doubt this is God's will for us this morning. Let me pray as we close, and then we have the opportunity to come in remembrance of Christ's grace and his sacrifice for us this morning. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll come to the table. God, we thank you for the gift of sex, that you've given the gift and intended it to be for our pleasure and for two to become one flesh through it. Lord, we thank you for the, um, we thank you for the gift of one another, relationships. But Lord, we pray for the ways that we've distorted your intention for sex, for the ways that our desires are disordered. Lord, we repent. And God, we thank you for your grace. All of us has fallen short. Of your call to live a, a holy life. Lord, we've all fallen short of that. We thank you, God, that you have come to us. And you offer us grace and you invite us to boldly approach your throne of grace to receive mercy to help us. So, Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you give us uh, resolve to, to fight this area of temptation, to fight this area of sin, to actively pursue killing our sin, Lord, in this area? And I pray that you would help us be honest with ourselves, that we would be bold in asking for help when we need it from others.